Hello, I am Katrina Collier, and as part of my mission to inspire all the people that recruit people to treat people better, I bring you the Hiring Partner Perspective Unedited podcast. Here, you will hear from those hiring leaders who create true partnerships with recruiters, HR, and talent acquisition, because they know that it delivers a better result for the business and a better human experience. May this podcast inspire other hiring leaders to create better partnerships with their recruiters and HR. And may it inspire recruiters to create true and valuable partnerships with their hiring leaders because people make businesses succeed and people matter. So let us begin. Welcome to the Hiring Partner Perspective podcast, proudly supported by the wonderful people at WorkDrive. Welcome. Thank you so very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So excited to have you, particularly because we've had a pre-chat. I don't always have a pre-chat with the guests and say, oh, I know all this stuff, which we're not going to share all of it. We're going to share the really good stuff though. Perfect. (laughs) So your current role is Operation Director. But of course, you're in the property and facilities management industry, which sort of fascinated me. What drew you to that? Because it sounds quite male-dominated, if I'm honest. But what drew you to that industry and what do you love about it and your role, of course? So real estate is very male, very white male-driven. Right. Um, I think that in the future, we're going to see some significant changes, but I don't think we're there yet. And I think there's still work to be done. But the good news is, is that I think that there's been a recognition of that throughout the industry. So that makes me happy. Having uh-huh. said that, I think I fell in love with the bricks from the very beginning. <laughs> love so that. much so that I spent every dollar that I had getting an undergraduate degree in real estate. That's very the, cool. Yeah. The difference is, though, that when I came out, um, when I finished my undergraduate program, I had all these great expectations. I thought I was going to take the world by storm. I think that I was, I thought that I was going to grab the world by the tail. Look out, here I come. I planned on being a real estate development banker. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. regardless of what plans I had, the economy had different plans. And frankly, the economy did not cooperate with me. So I couldn't get that. So was that 2008, nine? That, oh, that particular don't make, economy. Don't, don't make me date myself. Let's go there. <laughs> no, no, no. Let, let's not. That's okay. Don't All the listeners know how ancient I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So I'll give your listeners. That's not that long ago. That's like 12 years ago. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'll give your listeners a hint. You I could be in your 30s. A, <laughs> I still have a Hotmail account if that gives them any idea. <laughs> oh, yeah, we did have a laugh over yes, that, didn't we? Yes. <laughs> Do you know, I just, I find the whole age thing really peculiar because I'm hitting the big O this year and not one of the, the 30 or 40 ones. And I'm just like, I feel 30. I feel really indignant that people are like, yeah, but you're 50. Like you're old. I'm like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Yeah, anyway, this is about you, not about that. So, but yeah, but I assume you do mean that crash because the current, currently things aren't great either. So what did you yeah. do at that time as you were trying? I mean, that must have been a really tough time to be in your industry. Well, So here's the thing. I would go to these interviews as a newly minted uh, bachelor recipient. And I'd be competing in all instances against people that had advanced degrees, including, you know, the odd PhD. That's how bad the economy was. But not only did they have advanced degrees, they Mm -hmm. had experience. 
And I did not have an advanced degree, nor did I have experience. But what I did have was resiliency. Yeah. So I redirected. I had all the undergraduate coursework in accounting. So I went back to school. I got a master's of business administration in accounting and I Mm -hmm. refocused my career. So I spent the first half of my career in a variety of progressively responsible accounting and finance roles. And then about 15 years ago, I made a pivot. I had an opportunity to revisit some things that I'd always wanted to accomplish professionally. And real estate was one of them. And that is how I ended up in real estate. It was was not a straight line. It was more of a triangle. It was from left to right and then up to get to where I wanted to be. I love that though. And I think there's a lesson in there for a lot of people. I mean, I was actually speaking to some graduates this week or they're about to be graduates. And it's a really tough time as it was in 2008. Actually, when I left and went into the world of work was also a recession, which was even earlier. You're worried about aging yourself. Um, And um, it is that like to have that resilience and to try different areas. And you know, one of the guys is like, oh, I want to go for Accenture. I'm like, every graduate wants to go to Accenture. Why don't you start an SMB? Why don't you start somewhere else and get that different training? But I think the word I heard there was resilience. And I think that's so important, isn't it? If you really want to get there, you will get there. Yes. Big lesson. And I also saw in your, uh, that you are the diversity and inclusion executive appointee for the division, which sounds very, very important. How did that come about and what would you love it to achieve? Um, So I think there are a couple things. In the middle of last year um, in this country, we, you know, it was a very difficult time, very trying. Mm because a number of events that occurred from a social justice perspective. And, you know, we've had some really tough conversations, uh, both within the confines of our professional workspaces, as well as in our personal lives with friends, family, neighbors, etc. And the question that kept coming up is, why now, right? Because this is not the first time some of these things have occurred. Why now? What is different about Mm -hmm. this time? in these events. And what we identified is that the world has changed. And there's a difference between something that you can see live and that's on the internet that you literally are watching in motion over and over and over again versus, you know, an odd snapshot from a camera that's in a newspaper. The still life just doesn't compete with Mm. the moving picture, if you will. Mm, That's so true. But I think what it did do is it really caused conversations, very difficult conversations that needed to be had. It, It brought them to the forefront. And so my company, like many companies, um, took a very definitive stance, um, on all of the events that were unfolding last year. And, we did a number of things. And one of those things is to uh, really uh, put some additional investment behind our diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. So the good news is, is that we didn't start our diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives as a result of last year. They were already in flight. And point of fact is they'd been in flight for at least four or five years before any of this started, but we were still in the building stage is really reassuring because I mm-hmm. fear the whole tokenism of these kinds of roles, but you're saying it was already in place. Yes. 
Yes. So now the role changed? itself, the role itself that that I hold was not in place, but right. the foundation for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the importance of it in our company, that is not a new concept. So, as a result of the events of last year, they just they they made a stronger investment in it, mm-hmm. and appointing a, a designee, a diversity, equity, and inclusion life employee lifecycle designee for each of the divisions in the company's major line of business mm-hmm. was but one way. That's so good. So, w- what does what do you do day to day for in that role, or? It mightn't even be day to day because it's part of what you do, isn't it? It is part. So I think here's the thing. I feel very strongly that in order for an organization to be successful, there has to be integration and not balance. Mm-hmm. And integration means moving throughout seamlessly. So said another way, just as strongly as I feel about talent acquisition and talent development as a hiring manager is as strongly as I feel about people in general, especially the diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging, right? So I'm going to add the B to it because none of the rest of it matters or makes sense without that B. Mm. And so I think it's everyone's responsibility, regardless of what title you hold, regardless of your position in the organization. It just so happens that I've I've been asked to lead those efforts in my division. So you must spend then a lot of time speaking to other, I guess, people who are in either leading teams or for some reason, I feel you'd be talking to them more. I can be completely wrong. But is that what you do? You speak? Yeah. So here's what I'm currently have doing. Have uncomfortable conversations, I have assume. Have very uncomfortable conversations. And, and that is probably some one reason of the reasons. some reason, I think you quite yeah, enjoy that. very uncomfortable. <laughs> I do. Very uncomfortable. Yeah. Because, you know, um, the more uncomfortable, the more effective. Because exactly. it's stimulating thought, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not that you're causing anyone to necessarily change their position or their stance, but mm-hmm. you're, what you are causing is stimulation of thought. And to me, yep. that's the richness that comes out of the process. Mm. Um, we have taken a back to basics approach. And what we have learned is that we have a great number of, of tools and resources available in the company. We just haven't always done the best of jobs deploying those resources and tools. So we're currently in the process of developing a resource platform to be deployed with consistency throughout the division that are intended to support diversity, equity, and inclusion in our division. So let me give you an example. Yeah, please. Uh, Again, remember, we're not new to this game. So Mm. several years ago, back in February of 2018, we rolled out interview guides. And mm-hmm. our interview guides are meant to neutralize uh, and, and unconscious bias and microaggressions. So we're looking to ensure deeper penetration of that tool and that resource with consistency built into our process, perfecting it, and then rolling it out across the entire line of business. Yep. You know, we have curated training on unconscious bias for the entire organization. Really looking for robust ways to increase and amplify that training, as Mm -hmm. well as to um, really record it in a meaningful way. And then I'm a firm believer of what gets measured gets done. So, you know, don't just talk me to death. 
Show mm. me the results. And so we're a very uh, data-driven company. Mm-hmm. And like any other major initiative or undertaking, we look for the data that supports it. So this is no different. So that yeah, means scorecards and it means holding people accountable. Yeah. Because also because it's, it's, it's so ingrained, isn't it? In we humans, you know, we are just flawed, biased right. creatures. We all have our, you know, our opinions on things. So actually by using that data and by showing people also that they're progress, progressing potentially is also going to have a great impact, isn't it? That's yes. shown over and over and over. Um, and I do like the fact because it's like any training, isn't it? You've got to use it or it's not going to, not going to work that kind of a thing. Yes. Um, I, I probably a really tough question, but I did give you some heads up. So hopefully you had a thought, have you seen a company that has been truly inclusive? Cause I agree with the belonging piece to me is so important. And any thoughts on why that company is, or are they, we're literally still work in progress. <laughs> I mean, I, I will tell you my thoughts and I'm going to, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert at this company, right? Because mm-hmm. I've never worked for the company before. I don't mm-hmm. have an inside track, but it, yeah. you know, I think when a name keeps coming up over and over and over again, mm-hmm. you, you really have to kind of step back and say, hmm, mm-hmm. what's going on over there? <laughs> what are they about? It's such and a shame comes- people are only hearing this podcast because you are pulling the best facial expression. Which is <laughs> <laughs> like, hmm. It's like, I'm just sizing them up because they're doing something right. Love it. <laughs> yes. And so um, there's a book called Motivation by Daniel Pink. Yeah. And in that book, one of the companies that Dan Pink mentions is a company called Atlassian. Oh, yes. And yes. And if I recall correctly, it's an Australian based company, if I'm not mistaken. They are. And so, a couple of things about that company Um, they get it when it Mm -hmm. comes to understanding motivation. It's part of their culture, it's part of their DNA. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also what allows them to be successful when you start Mm. thinking about who are the companies that you think are getting it right? I I think they are. And I think coincidentally, um, I recently did an exercise with my coach, right? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, high performance athletes have coach coaches, um, executives have coaches. And therefore I thought I should have a coach. I have had several. I currently have one, but I have had several for all different areas of my life. So important. I'm with you on that. And the name that comes up again in that space as an influencer Hmm. is Arby Blanche. And guess where she works? Atlassian. Atlassian. I remember the first time I heard of them, I saw this campaign where they said, we're coming to Europe to steal your developers. And they literally came over, hired a bus, drove around Europe and interviewed. Like talk about going, we have a global shortage of developers. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to get right in front of them. We're going to come to you. No jumping through hurdles. Candidate first. Oh, so cool. And here's the thing. You have to appreciate Mm -hmm. a person or a company that mm-hmm. says what they're going to do and then they yeah. do it. It was so you cool. You have to appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. God knows what the European companies thought, but I loved it. Yeah. It's very, that was actually quite Australian humor as well. It's like we tend right. to do stuff like that, be very direct. This is what we yes. call it. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, here it is. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to do it. So nobody should be surprised that Mm. I did it because I told you I was going to do it. Yeah. And I guess that's exactly like what you're doing now, isn't it? You're like, okay, we're going to, I'm going to make a difference here. And how I can do that is keep bringing up, having the uncomfortable conversations, holding people accountable, using the data. That is correct. Yeah. I love it. And I'm, I'm glad to see it. And I, I, you know, I say as a white woman, I, I, I've had my eyes opened mm-hmm. in this last 12 months as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I feel like I am an ally and I'm making a difference and I always run very diverse events. And I think the, um, what happened on Capitol Hill as well, really opened up even more eyes Yes, as well. So I'm, but I'm also glad to hear it. it you don't feel it's tokenism because that was this constant worry of no. mine. I mean, look here, can I tell you that it's perfect, mm. right? Can I no. tell you that we've nailed it? And and you Not know, yet. here you go, world. Here's our template. Here's our playbook. Here's our white paper. No, no. <laughs> but what Not I can yet. tell you, Not yet. <laughs> but what I can tell you is, you know, you're on the right path yep. when your executive calls you and apologizes. <sighs> and and here's the funny thing. In my head, I'm like. Up. Yes. Wow. In my head, I'm like, okay, can't wait to hear what you're apologizing for. Have at it. <laughs> and so this man, whom I have a tremendous amount of professional respect for, mm-hmm. because again, he tells you what it is. And if he says it is so, you can pretty much trust it's so. And if anything changes, he's mm-hmm. going to tell you. I yeah. thought it was so, but this is what happened. And so now here's we, where we are. And I can mm. respect and I can appreciate that on many levels. Mm. And so he says to me, I should have called you and I didn't. And then he says to me, I didn't because I, 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 got, I was embarrassed and I didn't know what to say. He said, I was on the internet. And I was researching and I was reading because I was trying to understand how to be appropriate in this situation. Mm -hmm. And I kept reading that the one thing that black people were upset about were white people that kept apologizing. He said, so then I overthought it and I was rendered inactive. And he said, that's not acceptable. And I owe you an apology. That is leadership. Mm. That is is leadership. It is. It is. And I think it's just having that level of self-awareness that he got to that point as well. And I know I found, I, I, because we chatted beforehand and I was, you know, I never want to offend and I was, and we'd never met. And I'm sort of, I was also doing a similar thing. Like, am I okay to say this? Is that going to affect? And it's the only way that myself as a white Australian woman now living in England, can learn and help and but I feel it's very much on us white mm-hmm. people to learn it's not on others to teach us it's for I, us I to open our eyes I disagree oh, I disagree funny. I think, I think we should shared, be doing more no I think oh. it's a shared responsibility and let me explain to you why I say that oh please right? So whenever something happens, whenever there's a problem, whenever something goes wrong, whenever there are expectations that are unmet, Mm. we as people and as a society are so quick to look for blame or to cast blame, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you have to own 
your portion of the dysfunction. Because mm-hmm. very rarely is dysfunction unilateral. Yeah. Is it possible? Okay. Sure, I guess. Is it probable? Highly unlikely. Yeah. And so if if I as a black woman mm. am asking you as a white woman mm-hmm. to be more conscious, I have to be willing to meet you wherever you are. Gotcha. And so on the one hand, that does not absolve you of your responsibility. No. Of being proactive. I'm not suggesting that. Mm. But it also holds me accountable for making sure that you understand. So let me give you an example. Yeah, please. I had a conversation with someone uh, last year. And I was offended by the conversation. Mm-hmm. Because it was very clear that the person didn't realize they were exercising their white privilege. Uh-huh. Got you. And so I said, you know, I have to tell you that I'm offended. And then I told them why I was offended. Mm-hmm. And then we had a conversation about privilege and how it comes in many forms. It's not yeah. about it's not about um, ethnicity. It's not about gender. You know, it can be about finance. It can be about academics. Yeah. It can be yeah. about anything. Right. Mm-hmm. So while certainly I may not have privilege when it comes to gender or when it comes to color, I do have privilege when it comes to, you know, economics and, you know, education. And so I have to be responsible for how I occur to people because of that privilege. Well, the same thing, the same thing is true regardless Mm -hmm. of the privilege that you hold. Yeah. And so in that particular instance, you know, I think the person was surprised because I don't know that anyone had ever been that open and honest with them before. But what I, what I closed the conversation with is white people are fond of saying what they didn't know. Mm. So now I'm telling you and I'm taking that off the table. I can't tell you what to do going forward. And I can't control with what you do with that knowledge going forward. That's your decision. But Mm. what you can't say is that nobody told you and you didn't know because I'm telling you. Yeah. I love that. And it's so true what you're saying because I've always felt incredibly lucky to have been a female born in Australia Mm -hmm. and to now live in England because I have so much freedom. Yeah. So much freedom that I wouldn't have had if I'd been a female born in some of the Middle Eastern or even Asian countries. Yes. So completely agree. Um, I have a feeling this might be the kind of advice that you would give hiring managers then, because obviously, you know, the point of the podcast is get them to partner better with recruiters. But some of that does come to recruiters going, um, hello, you're being biased here and the hiring leader's not seeing it. Was that your advice you were going to give or have you got another top tip? because I know you're an exemplary hiring leader because uh, you were referred to me by Michael Goldberg, bless his cotton socks. So (laughs) He is a great guy. I know you partner properly. (laughs) He is wonderful, isn't he? He actually looks like a, a... he looks like a young version of my dad. It's really, really? weird. Yeah, I, I should okay. dig out an old photo of my dad and show him. Okay. <laughs> no, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. Here's kind of the best advice that I would give to to talent acquisition mm-hmm. uh, professionals. And then I'll follow that up with my advice to, to hiring managers. Mm-hmm. So with talent acquisition professionals, endeavor to understand the strategic goal and objective. Mm. 
because very rarely is the goal or the objective to fill a position. Yeah. Right. That's just maybe the outcome, but it's never, it's never the aspirational objective. And I think sometimes the challenge with that is volume. I can't speak for every organization, but here's what I know about my own organization. Our talent acquisition professionals work amazingly hard. Mm. They have a tremendous number of roles that they're they're looking to partner with the business and fill. Mm. And so that's a challenge, you know, to really try and find that time to partner with hiring managers to be strategic. But it is an absolute requirement for success. And on the back end, as far as hiring managers um, are concerned, one, communicate. We don't always do the best job of communicating. We don't communicate our strategy. We don't communicate what we're trying to achieve. We don't give a, a, a good visual in terms of how this particular role fits into the bigger plan or our mm. vision for the organization. Crazy, and therefore, we don't set our talent acquisition partners up to be as successful as they could be. Mm. So for hiring managers, communication is key. Yeah. I would say in I addition why to they resist so much giving that information, you think how much it would save them down the line if they just do. <laughs> but then if recruiters don't, don't ask for it. <laughs> but, th- but this goes back to what we were just talking about. It's shared mm. responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's not up to your, it's not up to your recruiter to ask you just like it's not up to you to offer. It's up to the two of you to partner and collaborate and dig deep and figure out what's going to serve the organization best. Yeah. Yeah. The digging deep might be the problem. I think that <laughs> there, is the problem. And I, I do think that actually goes back a bit to the bias, isn't it? It'll be back to the fear almost of, oh gosh, you know, if I bring in somebody that's different to me. So we, you know, the, the defaults to try and recruit people that are the same as us and you might need somebody exactly the opposite. Correct. And that's, but what if that doesn't work? Is that fair? Nothing is promised. No. no the greatness doesn't just happen, right? Mm. And I can't remember the last time I was great from my closet as I hunkered down in fear. <laughs> there I, is I just, no way you yeah, have done that. I, I don't I remember don't that ever happening. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, you know. Not when your middle name is resilient. There is exactly. no way you've ever done that. <laughs> got to be willing to step outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. You've got to be willing to try new things. You've got to be mm. willing to take a chance. Now, listen, you know, they're calculated chances. I'm not telling you to mm-hmm. burn the thing down by doing something <laughs> crazy, but you've got to be open. And I think mm. part of that also is what I'll call continual learning. Mm. You know, why create, recreate the wheel? Mm. Look around, see what others are doing. Take the best of what other people are doing. Mm. Absolutely. And it's funny, I see a lot of recruiters do that themselves, but I get very frustrated when heads of talent acquisition won't give their teams time to learn. Mm-hmm. Isn't it crazy? It's the antithesis. It's the yeah. antithesis of being in the people group. How does that yeah. work? I don't know, but they're actually proud. I've maxed my team out. They have no time to learn. They have no time to source. Like, and I, I honestly, I don't know how I didn't swear my head off at this particular person because I was so angry. I, it was yeah. like a red flag to a ball. Yes. I had a stupidity. Of, uh, how's your team going to bring in the best people if you're like basically giving them one arm to do their work? Oh. Correct. <laughs> Correct. 
Absolutely crazy. So what's your plans for the, your role going forward? What, I get the feeling you've got like really lofty goals. I didn't put this on your preempted question. Yeah, no. So um, <laughs> I just have to ask you. <laughs> you know, it's funny because you touched upon something earlier about a mm. willingness to have uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. That's what I'm about. Awesome. That's what I'm about. Um, right now, in this mm. moment, mm. when we hang up this phone later today, mm-hmm. I'm having a scheduled, uncomfortable conversation. Oh, I love it! Exactly. <laughs> and do they know they're about to have an uncomfortable conversation? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Do you think they'll be they'll be nervous? No, <laughs> no, because no. it's you. Well, no. not because it's me, but because it's them, right? Yeah. It, it mm. takes a willingness and a special type of leader to be willing to hear Mm. you and Mm. be willing to say if they agree or disagree, but to stay in dialogue. That's the key Mm. to stay in dialogue. Yeah, it is. I think it's that. Yeah. Breathe, breathe. I just breathed, didn't I? It's like that. Breathe before you respond. Take a moment, drop your defenses. You know, I see um, a lot of people are very, very defensive about everything. So but Actually, here's I'm the thing. Here. But here's the thing. Once you identify that there is a shared commitment and a shared desire, mm. then you can say, okay, we might have a different approach to get there. But our commitment and our desire, there's no negative implication. Mm. And that's what you have to keep in mind as, as you know, being the most important part of the, com- of the communication. Yeah. We want the same thing. Yeah. Which is the same for recruiters and hiring leaders for recruitment, mm-hmm. isn't it? Ultimately, exactly. Exactly. we want to bring in the best person for the job that's going to do wonders for the company. Right. I could talk to you for hours. Well, thank How you. dare I? Have, I, I, I? What was I thinking? Restricting these to thirty minutes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like thinking of everyone's attention spans, but I was like, oh. um, if people would love to have an uncomfortable conversation with you, if you're open to that, of course, I, where's the best place to stalk you? Like LinkedIn, or <laughs> I think so, LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. And, and here's the thing: I've never. I am from North Jersey. I'm a blue collar kid from North Jersey. Yeah. I've never run from a difficult situation in my life, and I don't intend to start now that I'm nearly a half century old. <laughs> She's not. <laughs> you I are not. not we must these, be the same year. <laughs> do not let these good genes fool you, my friend. Oh, look, it's just, yeah. Honestly, we should have a wrinkle competition. I'm losing. <laughs> um, <laughs> does that mean, so I'm so going to ask another question. Um, sure. Does that mean you're the first in your family to get a degree and even extra degrees, MBAs? That is a great question. Mm. I am the first grandchild on my mother's side of the family um, Mm. to get a degree, much less an advanced degree. And I am the second grandchild on my father's side of the family to get a degree. Wow. Well done Mm. you. Any advice then for going to university and and coming out and particularly now coming out into this world for someone that they are because you didn't have the oh mum you went to uni what was it like right have you got any just a quick tip and yeah again I didn't prep you for that one gosh I mean no no. you know so I think here's the thing in addition to being a blue collar kid Mm. um who who didn't come from a background of 
uh, folks with advanced educations, right? Mm -hmm. So there was no model that was set in front of me. There was no roadmap that was given to me. You know, I had to figure it out. Now, I had support, don't get me wrong. I have two very powerful parents, powerful. Um, And when I say powerful, my mother was a stay-at-home mother. She was that mother that every other mother called when they could not get to their child in, in school. Wow. And I remember being in the fifth grade and, you know, we were all kind of doing whatever. Some mm. folks were listening to music. Some folks were doing a science project. Some folks were reading. Mm. And all of a sudden, a quietness came across the room. Yeah. And next thing, all you hear is a bunch of fifth graders in the window going, Ooh. <laughs> Was that your mom? <laughs> Kia, your mama is here. Ah. And so... I poked up my head and I said, well, I don't know who she's here for, but it ain't me. (laughs) So it got really quiet. Even the teacher, one of the most feared teachers in that school got quiet. Right. And then all of a sudden you heard the name announced on the intercom to come to the principal's office. My mama wore that poor child out like she gave birth to him. (laughs) So... You had the well, a strong role model, but you also had someone to talk to. So it's Absolutely. just talk, talk. I had someone to keep me on the straight and narrow, right? Yeah. So we talked earlier about mm. high-performance athletes have coaches. Yeah. So as a professional, I have yeah. a coach. Well, yeah. growing up as a child and in my formative years, those coaches were my parents. Yeah. So I come from a very, you know, present family nucleus. Yeah, yeah. And we didn't necessarily, we didn't have wealth, right? Because I come from um, a single income home, two parents, Mm. dual parent, but single income home. Mm. So, you know, even paying for school, like there was no roadmap or plan for that. I figured it out. Yeah. And that's what I would tell, that is what I would tell people. Figure it out. There's no such thing as an obstacle other than the one you allow to get in front of you. Yeah. Which is when you talk about the comfort zone. It's out of the comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, are you going to get it perfect? Absolutely not. Figure it out. Yeah. But also have the support network. Correct. And your support network could be. In your case, your mum, because I'm going to get adopted. and <laughs> Or it could be someone else. Yeah. Seriously. Is she open for adoptions? Right. <laughs> Listen, be careful. That old lady, is she something else? She's a tough old girl. I think I'd love it. Yeah, she is <laughs> a tough old girl. And oh, yeah. Love it. Well, on that note, I cannot thank you enough for this. Um, and I will make sure that it's hyperlinked. Your name's hyperlinked so everyone can find you on LinkedIn with ease. Um, thank you again so much for being Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Hiring Partner Perspective Unedited Podcast, proudly supported by the people at WorkDrive. Hopefully you really enjoyed what you heard and have left feeling inspired. And if so, I would love your help to create real change. Please pass this podcast on to your hiring leaders and other recruiters and HR. Even share it on your social channels if you feel so inclined. But the more reach we can get, the more change we can create. So please remember to subscribe, of course, on your favorite podcast platform. And do come and say hello at Hiring Partner Perspective on Instagram, where I share behind the scenes of what's going on. Until next time. Thank you.
Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.